All right, you were waiting for something to come out of that screen, weren't you? At any moment, you were waiting for it. And, uh, you know, that as that song's playing, I, I just really, it just kind of comes to me that for about 38 years, that has been a song that has tormented me. That has been a song, I, I got an amen already right up here. I mean, whenever I first saw that movie, I saw that movie, that iconic movie of Jaws, and again, what made it uh, so scary, I think, truthfully, was the ominous music. And when you saw the shark, that's when it really kind of got cheesy, right? It's the music and kind of some of the, the camera work and all that. But, but from the, the beginning, from whenever I saw that film as a little kid, I saw it at a drive-in theater with my parents. And I was really too young to see it, and they didn't know what it was going to be like. We had to leave in the middle of the movie. We had to leave. I was so terrified. That song has been like seared in the back of my mind for over 38 years. Every time I get in water, that's what I hear. Okay. Whenever, and, and I've, I've tried all kinds of ways to kind of face that fear. If you've been around our church for any amount of time, you know that I have a great fear of sharks because of that. And uh, I've tried ways of trying to face my fear, you know, for many years. I, I've, I've been an, uh, just a, a regular uh, watcher of Shark Week every year, you know. I've got to watch that, and I'm trying to face my fear there. I've taken my family on vacations to the beach. And uh, I'm serious, I, I was so tormented by this song as a kid that, that after I saw that movie, I mean, I was afraid. I've told you this before. I was afraid to drink out of the water hose. I was afraid to get in the bathtub. I was afraid to get on the toilet. You never know about the toilet shark. I don't know what that is, but it's scary. Okay. I was afraid whenever I'd go water skiing, even as a teenager, I'd be water skiing in Eagle Mountain Lake. And whenever I would fall and then you're there for a few minutes waiting for the boat to come back, the music's going in the back of my head. As soon as I would take my family as an adult, I'd take my family to the beach. And as soon as my toes touch the salt water, the music's going on in the back of my head. That's what I hear. It's been seared into my brain. I tried to face this one year whenever uh, uh, it was our 20-year wedding anniversary. And Hope and I went to the Dominican Republic to celebrate that. And we were there on a nice romantic week and a nice romantic getaway. And one of the excursions that was made available for us was to swim in the ocean with some stingrays and lemon sharks, okay? And I'm like, lemon sharks? That doesn't sound too bad. I mean, I, I think I can handle that. And, uh, you know, and, and so I like lemonade. And so I thought, I, I'm in for this. And, and I was going to try to face my fear. So we swim with the stingrays. That was kind of crazy in and of itself because they were huge. And then in this other big tank out in the ocean there where these nets were, they had lemon sharks in there. And, and, and I saw them underneath the water. And they've got this kind of sinister, real toothy grin, evil-looking smile. And they weren't small little sharks. They were about 8 to 12 feet long. And they're swimming. And now i got to tell you, I wish that I could tell you this brave story of this brave man on that day in the water but instead, I took my 100-pound wife of 20 years, and as the sharks are coming closer and closer to us, I take my 100-pound wife and I put her in between me and the sharks. And that is not a lie. There is no embellishment to this story. Hope was on the front row in the last service, and she is shaking her head. She said to me after the second service, she said, she said I think when you got in the water, your brave heart war paint came off, right? 
And then, you know, you're talking all Braveheart smack last week and your war paint came off. And, but that's what happened. And, and so, you know, my family's always kind of teased me about it and all this. When I got back from one beach vacation, I came into my office and they had taken this and put this right up behind my desk. Okay. And so my, my wife, my sister-in-law, you know, they're always kind of teasing me about it. And it's a well-known fact that sharks circle their prey, right? Whenever they're going to come in for the attack, they start kind of by circling. And when they're circling, they're sizing their prey up. They're looking for the, just the right opportunity to strike and to attack. They're looking for vulnerabilities. Have you ever felt like the sharks were circling you? And have you ever felt like you were under attack? Some of you this week, maybe you've kind of felt that way and there's been some opposition that you've been feeling in your life. And it's almost like maybe there was a little bit of blood in the water, so to speak. And you know what that does, right? Okay, and it attracts the sharks when there's weakness or when there's vulnerability. And maybe this week, I don't know, or for some time, you've been feeling kind of like you're under attack. You've been feeling like the sharks have been circling you. And you've been feeling like maybe fearful and, and maybe like that ominous music is kind of playing in the background. And you may be thinking, what in the world does, does sharks and music like that have to do with the book of Nehemiah? And that is where we're at. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4. Okay, we're continuing in this series called Rebuilding Fallen Walls. We're talking about restoring walls that have been torn down and broken down in our lives. And we're looking at what God has to say to us about this. And I want to talk to you about something that I've noticed just in other stories. And maybe you can relate to this. Or maybe you've noticed this in other movies. How in, in many movies, there's like this kind of happy music that's kind of setting you up for something. Like there's this happy interlude music. And like in Jaws, okay, if you've seen that movie, there are people on the beach and everyone's having a good time and they're on their rafts and they're kicking in the water and you're like, oh, don't kick in the water, okay? You know what that's going to mean and because you, you know what the movie's about, right? And, and they're swimming and there's a guy throwing a stick out into the ocean and the dog's frolicking and you're like, not the dog, man. And, and you know, and it's like, and, and so there's all this happy music that's going on and people are swimming in the water. Kids are enjoying themselves. Everything's good. Happy music. And, 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 you know, and that's what you kind of hear. And then, and then, you know, that something bad is about to happen. And what is it that kind of clues you in that, you know, that something bad's going to happen other than the fact that the movie's called Jaws. Okay. Um, what is it that le- lets you know, something's going to go wrong, that there's danger. Oftentimes in a lot of movies, it's like this ominous music, like the mood of the music kind of shifts, right? And you hear that, you hear that, that John Williams kind of brilliant music. Again, that's what made the movie probably scary was the music more than anything. When you saw the shark, it wasn't that scary. It's kind of that ominous music. And and again, you may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with Nehemiah? Well, I want you to think of the story. If you've been following the story with us over the last four or five weeks, we think about Nehemiah and we think about his story and how he's come back from Persia to his hometown of Jerusalem. He didn't grow up in Jerusalem. He grew up in Persia because 140 years before this event of rebuilding the walls, uh, the, the walls of Jerusalem were torn down by a king named Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. 
they were torn down. And not only were the protective walls of the city torn down and the gates burned, the people were exiled out and the, the, the Babylonians left the poorest of the poor there just to tend to the fields. But they took all of kind of the, 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 the cream of the crop or the richer ones out and they took them uh, back with them back to the area of Babylonia, which also uh, ends up becoming absorbed by the Persians as there's a shift in world power during that 140-year period. And so many of the, uh, of the Jews grew up in Persia. And Nehemiah was one who had grown up in Persia and by the sovereign hand of God becomes the cupbearer to the king of all Persia. Persia was the world power at the time. King Artaxerxes was the one who was in power. And you remember the story, okay? Let me kind of set it up for you. You remember the story that Nehemiah gets the word back from some of his fellow Jews and his brother that the walls of, of Jerusalem, his hometown, are still down. And it would be like the Twin Towers whenever they fell and nobody's done anything for years and years and years to repair that or fix that. And you remember how your heart was devastated when you saw that because it, it wasn't just about buildings. It was about what? People. It was about brokenness and people. And Nehemiah, it says, when he heard the news about his hometown, it says this, that he was burdened deeply and he sat down and he wept and he prayed to God and he sought God about, about maybe him being used to make a difference in repairing the fallen walls. And so he's called by God. The ki- he goes before the king. The king gives him approval and he gives him protection. He gets permission and then he even gets provision from the king. And so the hand of God is upon him and he gets back to Jerusalem there and he goes. And you remember in the middle of the night, he starts inspecting the walls. He starts assessing the needs And then he gets inspired and he inspires the other people around him to come. And he says, let's rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I think there's all of this excitement and there's all of this joy. And the people are are just fired up. And that's when the happy music starts playing. If Nehemiah were a movie... That's when the happy music would start playing. There's all this excitement. People are starting to slap bricks back on top of one another, right? I'm thinking in a movie, it'd be kind of the slow motion thing, you know, and you see the happy music playing in the background. You hear that. You see them working together. Everyone's excited. There's smiles on everyone's faces, right? Probably one guy's singing something like, I believe I can build, right? You know, something like that. He's excited and it's the happy music and then all all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you know, there's something that's coming. That's the ominous music comes in the background. And that's when we're like, man, get out of the water. Don't open that closet door or whatever it may be. You know, something is on the horizon. Something's about to happen. Well, that's what we find in chapters two and three, all of this happy kind of stuff that's happening and everyone's excited. But when you get to chapter four, in my mind, if Nehemiah were a movie, the tone of the music would all begin to change. In my mind, as I was reading this, I kind of I kind of view this as the sharks are are starting to circle around the vulnerabilities of the of the walls that's still not completely repaired. You should know that for years people had been trying to rebuild Jerusalem. But over and over again, the sharks would start circling and the sharks would attack and they would discourage the people and the people would quit and they would give up and they never followed through. 
And so they begin this again, and and the sharks, so to speak, are starting to circle. And Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem, who have this great vision in mind to do this great work for God, they are going to begin to come under attack. And isn't that exactly how it is oftentimes in our lives? Whenever you decided, or maybe you've made a choice in your life that you're going to start living for God or you're going to start serving the Lord God, or maybe over the last several weeks, you identified some fallen walls in your life. Maybe you identified fallen walls in our church where you're like, man, I want to make a difference where that wall is down. Maybe you started identifying fallen walls in your family. And you started thinking, maybe you saw fallen walls in your marriage. And over the last couple of weeks, you've been sensing the hand of God on you. And and you are trying to make a difference. And you're stepping out in faith like Nehemiah did. And you're saying, here I am, God. Use me. Send me. I want to be used by you, God. You're sensing and feeling all of that. And, And, you know, you've started the good work. It seems so often that this happens to us whenever we begin a good work we oftentimes come under attack. Have you noticed that? Is it that way for you? I mean, anytime I like try to do something that's going to make a positive change in my life, the week of, it seems like I come under enormous attack. It seems like the temptation level gets kicked up to another level, another notch there. It seems like the enemy ratchets it up just a little bit further. I, get, I can get discouraged if I'm not careful, and we're going to see this in the people of God. I want you just to think about this. This is a key thought for you, okay, and something that you can take away. And knowing this is a truth, and this isn't to discourage you, but it's just a reality that you need to to take in today and and recognize that as soon as you start rebuilding, you need to know that you will soon be battling. If you start to rebuild in your marriage or your family or in your community, or you take on a great call from God to make a difference, you're going to face resistance. You're going to face opposition in your life. As soon as you start bringing about a positive change for the glory of God in your life or in your family or in our church, in our community, you can count on resistance. And Nehemiah and the people of God are going to have to deal with it. And so will we in chapter four. Now, we see some characters that are introduced to us, okay? Now, actually, in chapter 2, their names are mentioned, and they already had kind of started beginning to to kind of the sharks were starting to circle. There's a couple of guys that I want you to take note of, and I just want to explain who they are before we read chapter 4, okay? Sanballat is one of them. His name is Sanballat, and he was the governor of Samaria. Samaria was, was in an area that was always opposed to the Jews. They hated the Jews, and now, because the, of Jerusalem being in destruction, they took great pleasure in seeing that. And now as they're starting to repair, he's not liking that one bit because his power is going to be threatened. There's another guy named Tobiah that we'll read about who was most likely a Jew. And in the absence of many of the other Jews who were exiled out, his family somehow came into some kind of power grab. And so again, he's being threatened now, uh, or he's going to threaten them because his power is uh, going to come probably under some kind of assault there. Then there's a man named Geshem. Geshem was, it says he's Geshem of the Arabs. And we know the history between the Arabs and the Jews has always been one of warfare and opposition. So remember the wall is going up. The happy music is playing, so to speak. 
Now, we're going to read a lengthy passage, and I want to just encourage you to hang with me in the lengthy passage. There's a lot of action in this, okay? Hang with me. Let's, and here's what I really just, I felt like we needed to read this chapter here. And what I'm trusting and praying is this, is that the Word of God, which is the greatest preacher anyway, will preach deeply into your soul as you hear God's Word today. Amen? Okay? So let's look at this in chapter 4, and let's see how the story begins to unfold, and kind of the ominous music is playing in the background, okay? It says this, that as the wall was going up, it says that Sanballat was very angry. Remember, he's the governor of Samaria. When he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage, and he mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan uh, army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? So again, he's starting to mock them. He's starting to mock their faith, okay? Do they actually think that they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? The stones were most likely limestone. They had been burned because they'd been burned. They were probably very brittle. And so he's pointing out their flaws. He's pointing out their weaknesses. There's a little bit of blood in the water, so to speak. And the sharks are starting to circle. Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, he remarked, That stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it, okay? So Tobiah is a straight-up punk. You just need to know that, all right? He is just a punk, and he's pointing this out. And I imagine all the Sumerian officers are bent over just laughing it up. They're belly laughing at the mockery and the scorn and the derision. And they're, you know, they're like, oh, the mighty people of God. You know, and so they've been mocking the people of God, and they've been mocking Jehovah for many years now. For 140 years. And so they're continuing to do this. And they're like, oh, the work you're doing it. I mean, not even a chipmunk could la- you know, last on that. They're kind of making fun of him, right? And I want us to notice Nehemiah's first response when he comes under attack. I want you to notice the response. Take note of what he does. In fact, read it with me out loud. The f- next three words. What does it say? Then I prayed. And then I prayed. And this is his prayer. Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. And may their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives uh, in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Now, you may be hearing that and think, man, that doesn't sound like a very Christian prayer, okay? But let me just express something to you. What Nehemiah is doing is he's being very real before God in prayer. And there's something very valid for us to take from that. He was very frustrated. He's venting to God. He's sharing how he really feels. By the way, God knows how you feel, right? He knows how you feel. You don't need to try to pretend. He understands this. And this isn't about Nehemiah's ego. This is about the glory of God. And he sees that they are seeking to discourage the work of God. So I want you to see the verbal assaults come in and the people, though, they keep at it. They don't give up. Verse 6, at last the wall was completed to half its height. So it's not, remember what the walls were there for? It's protection. They were for protection in the city. Others had started, many had failed. And it says they got to around half of its height, the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. 
But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites, and I want you to see how this begins to grow. Criticism becomes often contagious. And people who are critics will often start rallying the troops. And now that there's a little bit of blood in the water, there's not just one or two or three sharks. Now there are many sharks that are circling them at this point, okay? And they are opposing this work of God. He says this, as we continue to read, it says when the, the Ammonites and the Ashdodites and Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, he says they were furious. So the enemy is never happy whenever there is a good work that is happening in your life. He's furious by it. The enemy is never happy when walls start being repaired in your life or in your family or in your church. Now, I want you to see what they do. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into what's the word into a confusion. All right. And who is often behind confusion? We know that there is a spiritual enemy that. That, that causes this, okay? And so they're conspiring and they're coming against them. Now notice the response again. You've got verbal assaults and now you're having kind of some physical threats that are starting to happen. And look in verse nine. But what did we do? But we what? We pray. Do you see that again? He goes to God in prayer again. We prayed to our God And we guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. There's nothing wrong with protecting yourself. There's nothing wrong with rising up, uh, you know, and protecting yourself uh, and protecting the work of God. I want you to notice, though, that as these assaults start coming in, I want you to notice the effect that it starts to have upon the people of God. Because I think this happens oftentimes in our world as well, when, as Christians today. Then the people of Judah, that's the people who are doing the work, they began to do what? Complain. They started grumbling. As, as the enemy is starting to be successful in causing these, these, you know, this fear begins to emerge. The workers and fatigue begins to set in. The workers are getting tired. This is what they're complaining about. And this is how they're starting to feel. And there is so much rubble to be moved. You know, there's a lot less rubble than when they first started, right? But they're looking at the, the they're not looking at the, the wall being halfway up. What are they looking at? They're looking at the negativity. They're looking at all of the work still yet to be done. And he says, they're, they're looking at the, the rubble. They're feeling overwhelmed. And look at what they says. I want you to notice the shift from where their eyes were on their God and all the happy music was playing, right? Probably. And now the sharks are circling and they're being opposed. And, he sa- and they say this. This is what the people say. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And I want you to know that there's something very true about what they're saying there. You will never be able to do the work by yourself. But they're feeling overwhelmed. They've forgotten that the hand of God was with them. The hand of God was on Nehemiah who had been leading them. And now, and so they're feeling overwhelmed. And maybe you're feeling that way today. 
Maybe you started the good work in your family. Maybe you started the good work in your marriage where walls were down. Maybe you started the good work in serving the Lord in some ministry where you're making a difference. And, and, and you've started feeling fatigued and you've started feeling overwhelmed. And you've started maybe listening to the, the enemy whisper in your ear that this is an impossible task. And you're not making a, a difference. I can't tell you how many times that I had heard that voice whisper in my ear, especially oftentimes on a Monday, whenever the enemy says, you're not making a difference. You are weak and you are feeble. And what you're doing is not changing anybody's life. That's how the enemy works. He comes and he begins to to plant these kinds of thoughts. He begins to, to assault us in that kind of way and oppose us. And so they're feeling discouraged. They're feeling fatigued. And you may relate to that. Now, I want you to see what's going to begin to happen now. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, because the blood is in the water. Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down and, and on them. And, and now this is getting really serious. We'll kill them. I mean, they're threatening physical, physical harm. And we will end their work. We will end the rebuilding of this wall. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and they will attack us. So this complaining begins to lead to discouragement and it's contagious amongst people there. And now the enemy is going to use one of his tactics, which is fear. And he's trying to make them afraid. And so perhaps you relate to this because you're fearful of maybe the walls not being repaired in your life or you're thinking it's impossible. Maybe you've been feeling anxious. Maybe you've been thinking that's what happens for other people, but it could never happen for me. And you start feeling fearful. But you know what does Scripture say? And who does Scripture say is behind these kinds of fear tactics? It's, it's our enemy, right? The Scripture says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but He's given us a spirit of, of power and love and a sound mind. But so who is, who is bringing fear into your life and anxiety and all of this? We know that this is a tactic of the enemy. So look at verse 13. I love this. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the wall in the exposed areas. He identified where there was weakness, okay? I placed armed guards there. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Now, Nehemiah is continuing to fight this battle. He's rallying these people to not give up and to keep up the good work. This is all about God's glory. Remember, this is not just about broken down walls. This is about broken down people. And that's what he cares about is the glory of God in their lives. Now, this next verse is one of the most inspiring verses in the entire book to me. It's one of the most inspiring verses in all of the word of God throughout the entire Bible. I want you to see this and pay careful attention. Then Nehemiah says this, as I looked over the situation, and it didn't look good at this point, right? I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. He he gathered everybody together. Remember, I was talking a little bit about kind of that Braveheart moment where he's rallying the troops and he's inspiring them. Look at what he says. He says to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. I want you to read that with me out loud. Say it with me, church. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Now, look at what he's going to tell them to do. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious because their eyes were off of their God. The eyes were off of the work God had called them to. And now they've become fearful of the enemy. 
He said, remember the Lord who is great and glorious. And now he's going to say this. And I love this. And I want you just to let God's word preach to you today. If you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling under attack or under assault, now he's going to, he's going to charge everyone to stand up, resist and fight. He says, fight for your brothers. Notice he doesn't say fight for your walls. Are you, are you hearing that? He doesn't say fight for the walls, fight for the rebuilding of the walls. He says, no, he he personalizes it. Fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, your daughters, fight for your wives and say the next thing with me and for your what your, your homes. You see, you're in a battle. You're in a battle for your homes. Do you know that? You're in a battle for your marriage. You're in a battle for your kids. This is a war and a battle that you are in. And it is real. And he says this, when you start feeling fearful and overwhelmed and as if you're not making a difference and we so often feel that way and we start listening to the enemy, he says, you remember the Lord our God and you remember, you remember who he is. He's great and he's glorious and you partner with him and through his power, you fight. Remember who he is and remember who you are in him. Now look at verse 15. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans, and I want you to notice, and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked. while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. So the leaders are involved in this too. The the laborers carried on their work with one hand, supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. So these guys are working, they're building walls and they got a weapon in their other hand. They're like, we are not stopping this work. And by the way, we're ready to fight too. bring it. Okay, man, I love that mentality. I love that, that the work never stopped. They didn't get distracted and lured into this fight, but they were prepared to defend themselves. It says the laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. And all the builders, all the builders, and you are a builder in repairing broken walls. All the builders had a sword belted to their side and the trumpeteers stayed with me to sound the alarm. Now you may not have a a literal sword at your side, but scripture says that you have been equipped with the armor of God. You've been given the armor of God to protect yourself and to defend yourself. You have the shield of faith, the belt of truth, the, the, the shoes and the boots that are, that are cleated that you stand firm with. And, and you have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. And then you have been given a weapon and the weapon is the word of God, which is called the sword of the spirit, right? So you're not in this battle ill-equipped, God has equipped you. He has given you what you need to defend yourself and to continue the good work that you are in. And then I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people in verse 19, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. And when, the, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. And I want you to say the next thing with me out loud. What does it say, church? And then our God will fight for us then our God will fight for us. 
But I want you to see that when the trumpet was blown there, that, that they came to one another's aid. And that there are going to be times where other places in the wall where it's down maybe in your life or in our church or in our community where we're called to come to the assistance of others. It says in verse 21, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, when they and their servants or that way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. He's saying even when we went to sleep at night, we slept ready. We were prepared for battle. In other words, we never let our guard down. Okay, church, what do we learn from this incredible passage of Scripture? We learn about facing opposition, some certain things. When the sharks are circling, if that's you and you've been feeling this certain way, God is calling as God's calling you to something great for his glory and you start facing opposition. I want you to consider some things just to anticipate when it comes to opposition in your life. Here's the first thing if you're taking some notes is that we must anticipate that opposition is absolutely inevitable. You are going to face opposition whenever you begin to to launch out into what God has called you to do in something great for him. When you decide to push forward for God, step out in faith, you need to understand that just in that same passage, it says the enemies were furious with God's glory being restored where walls had been broken down. And you have a spiritual enemy who becomes furious at walls being restored in your life and is opposed to it. Nehemiah, listen to me, did not face opposition because he was doing something wrong. Nehemiah faced opposition in his life because he was trying to do something that was right. Have you ever noticed that in your life? That when you start doing the right thing, how hard it gets around you? How difficult it becomes when you start stepping out and following God and obeying God and and trying to do the right thing and repairing broken down walls in your life, you know. But I think oftentimes what happens is we, we don't anticipate opposition and I think there are a number of reasons for that. I think many times... We think because perhaps we bought into a wrong way of thinking about, about this world in which we live in. We think that if we're going to live for God, then we have bought into what a lot of preachers will tell you and a lot of false teaching that is out there, that if you will follow God, then what that means is you are always going to be healthy and wealthy. And that is, I'm going I'm to just straight up tell you that is a false teaching that brings an enormous amount of discouragement for many people who have decided to follow God and yet still who face great opposition in their life. Okay, and I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us because we know that God blesses. uh, But here is the thing that I think for many of us, we oftentimes think if I will follow God, then it's going to be smooth sailing from here on out. And I'm just going to tell you that's just not true. When you decide to follow God, you are going to face and encounter opposition. I mean, sometimes we have the mentality, okay, God, I'm following you. I've been trying really hard to do what you're calling me to do. Things have gotten really difficult. And sometimes if we're being honest, we get a little angry with God and we're like, God, I kind of feel like you owe me here. 
I kind of feel like you owe me for trying to do this for you. And so we kind of get wrong thinking in that way. Sometimes we buy into the false theology that it's all going to be, you know, uh, kind of just total prosperity at all times and all. But what about the believers in the third world countries that that aren't, you know, experiencing that, but yet they are still very much deeply in love with Jesus Christ? What about them? What about the people who have loved Jesus Christ with all of their hearts and yet they also still get sick because we all at some point, right, are going to die in this world in which we live because it's broken by sin. See, Jesus said this, in this world, you will have trouble. Didn't he say that? Are those the words of Jesus himself? In this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus never watered it down. He never presented it in such a way to package it just to kind of lure us in and then pull the bait and switch. Jesus said straight up that as you follow me, there are going to be times where it gets very, very hard. And you're going to face opposition. And sometimes the sharks are going to be circling. All right. Think of Nehemiah living very comfortably. It had been easy for him back in the palace to be like, God, I, I followed you. I launched out. I must be out of your will, God, because things are getting really hard. And sometimes we think that just because things are difficult, we must be out of the will of God. But sometimes, listen, we're in the will of God, and those are oftentimes where it gets most difficult. But, but take heart. Jesus said, not only are you going to, he says, you will face trouble in this world. He didn't just end it right there. Do you know what he said right after that? He said, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Here's the thing. This isn't heaven. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad you have something to look forward to as a believer? This isn't heaven. So we shouldn't be surprised. All throughout the New Testament, you'll find guys like Peter who will say to believers, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that you will encounter as you follow Jesus Christ. There are things that are opposed to the glory of God, uh, just very quickly, we find that Scripture teaches us about things that are in opposition, the world and its systems. I'm not talking about the people of the world so much. I'm talking about the world and its systems being opposed to the things of God. Our own flesh is in opposition to the glory of God and the things of God. You know what I'm talking about? That sin nature that when you decide, I'm going to start doing right. Or maybe you decide, I'm going to start eating right this week. Or I'm going to take better care of myself. And what does that sin nature do? There is opposition that comes in. Are you with me on that? Can I get an amen there? Help me out, okay? All right. You've got, you've got the flesh there. And then the, there's also another kind of opposition that you face that is real. And his name is Satan. And his name literally means adversary. You know that? That's what his name means is adversary. That he is opposed to the things of God and he is real. And, and so you've got these three things working against you, opposed to the glory of God being restored in your life. And, 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 and so when the, when, the, when the sharks start circling, and even Peter says, and listen, maybe it doesn't say the sharks are circling, but Peter says that, 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 that the devil, your enemy, is roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Seeking whom he may devour. 
All right, that sounds kind of like shark activity to me there. He's looking to tear down walls, to keep walls that are already down, to keep those things down. And he doesn't have a red tail and horns, and he's in pajamas, okay? The Scripture says that he is masterful at disguising himself as an angel of light, and he has been masterful at making people think that he does not exist. And when you start even thinking about that, you're like, oh, maybe that's not for real or whatever. And you have bought into his lie because he is a deceiver. He cannot even tell the truth. He's, a, he's the father of lies is what Jesus himself says about him. And so J.I. Packer, who wrote this great book called Passion for Faithfulness, he writes about Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6. And you know what the theme of Nehemiah 4 through 6 is? It's not this physical opposition. You know what it's about? It's about spiritual warfare. That's what he says. He says here in, in his book, he says, Nehemiah's real opponent. And I want you to think about the opposition that you encounter in your life. You may feel like there are people that are coming against you. And maybe to, in the physical realm that they are. But you need to understand that Paul even says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But against spiritual wickedness and principalities in high places is what Paul would say. But, but, he, but Packer says this about Nehemiah. He says that Nehemiah's real opponent, lurking behind the human opponents, the critics, the grumblers who occupied his attention directly, was Satan, whose name means adversary, and who operates as the permanent enemy of God, the permanent enemy of God's people, and he is an enemy to God's praise. We think of Satan as our spiritual enemy, and so he is. But we need to realize that the reason that he hates humankind and seeks our ruin is because he hates God. And that is our adversary. He hates when the glory of God is restored in your life and in your family and in our church and in our community. Why does he hate it so much? Because whenever your life is transformed and changed, who gets the glory? God does. So you need to understand that he is actively at work and his name is Destroyer. And he hates you because he hates the glory of God in your life. He doesn't want your life changed. He doesn't want your marriage saved. He doesn't want you delivered from the broken down walls of addiction in your life. He is opposed to all of that because it brings glory to God when your life is transformed by Jesus Christ. The world, the flesh, the devil are all real and we should expect and anticipate that we will face opposition when we step out in faith to follow God. Nehemiah expected it. And I, I rest upon this promise found in 1 John. We may be inclined as we start hearing about the enemy to focus on the enemy and to start being fearful of the enemy, right? He's a roaring lion. Bart, you're saying he's kind of like a circling shark. Isn't there fear in that? Well, that's whenever John says, he that is greater in us is, is greater than the one that is in the world. Amen? And you take that strength and you take that promise and you take this as your sword and it is your weapon and you take the armor of God. The reason we need to expect opposition in the Christian life until Jesus returns is because if we do not anticipate and expect it, that is when we begin to get discouraged. And we begin to think that God is, is, is doing this to us or we lose heart or, or you know, or maybe it's not worth it and we kind of give up. And, and, and here's the word that you take from this. 
Maybe you've been feeling very discouraged and you've been feeling like giving up. What you take from this passage is expect opposition. And when it comes against you, persevere. Do not quit. Because the enemy will come against you, but you do not have to fear him. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Whom shall I fear, right? Whom shall I fear? I remember who I am in Jesus Christ. I remember who he is. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation and trouble. But he said, but take heart. If you're discouraged today, he says to you, take heart. I have overcome the world. This isn't heaven right here. This is a season in your life that will pass. And God is faithful and God is good and God is just. And vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That's what he says, right? Okay, so we see that we anticipate the enemy, but you should understand that the enemy has tactics. We anticipate the tactics. Let me just very quickly just tell you, we're reading this and we're seeing swords and spears and, you know, and we kind of see that and maybe we don't relate so much to that. But let me just, let me just say this, that we're not in a battle with flesh and blood, but we are in a real spiritual war that's happening and it's spiritual warfare. And did you notice Nehemiah and the people of God before they did anything else, what did they do when they came under attack? What did they do? What did he say immediately? And we what? Prayed. You know, you don't fight this battle the way the world fights the battle. That's what the scripture says. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You don't fight the way the world fights. You fight with the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And you fight through prayer. Kinds of opposition you may encounter. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Personal opposition. You may, as you start doing the right things for God, you may come under verbal assault. You may have people around you make snide comments or remarks, or they may try to impugn your character. That, isn't that what they did in Nehemiah? You guys are so weak. You're feeble. You'll never be able to do that. What you're doing is not making any kind of difference. As soon as you start living for God, you can start expecting the mockery to begin. You can begin, and sometimes it comes from a family member. Sometimes it comes from a, a co-worker. Sometimes it's not even that they, that they hate you, but perhaps, you know, they hate the things of God for some kind of reason. So anticipate. Remember that they're not your enemy, though. They need Christ in their life. There's also cultural opposition. Our culture doesn't accept or embrace the values of God. What our culture does is celebrates sinful lifestyles, Right? Our culture is set up against the things of God. So the moment that you decide to stand for something that has value, something that is valuable in the eyes of God, you should expect opposition. You should expect that that whenever you take a stand uh, for the things of God, that you will be labeled in this world today as, and it gets flipped around. Now you're hateful, right? Whenever you're actually just standing for what God says is right and true. Or now you're in, you're intolerant, you know, or whatever. And that's kind of the mentality is that's what's played against you for standing for things that are right. Is that true? I mean, it happens all the time. And now you've been labeled as intolerant or there's a cultural opposition. And there's also what's called governmental opposition. We don't face this so much in our, in our society here in the United States, Although I would say that there could come a time where you should begin to prepare and understand that governmental opposition is very much a possibility. 
You need to understand that and be prepared and understand what that may mean in your faith. Our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world face governmental opposition where they wake up every day wondering if their life will be taken from them simply because they love Jesus Christ. And so you may face some kind of opposition in that kind of manner. Say, would that ever happen in the United States of America? I wouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. The the enemy has these tactics. I want you to see what he does. He uses derision, okay? Again, he makes fun. He scorns. He mocks. These are verbal assaults. Maybe you started standing for something you were made fun of, okay? And you started feeling, uh, you know, that you were weak and you were feeble because he's pointing out your weaknesses and wants you to notice that. And he wants you to feel hopeless. He wants you to feel overwhelmed. He wants you to feel like it's not even possible for God to do a work in your life. You know, we've been asking this question week after week. Is the same God of Nehemiah the same God for us today? Amen? Does the same God who restored that wall, is he still able to restore walls that are broken down in our lives today? Amen, right? So I want you to know that if you're feeling hopeless, I want you to understand who's behind that. Do not give in. Do not give up. Remember that those who labor in the Lord do not labor in vain. He tries threats. Okay? The enemy will often threaten. And he tries to scare and antagonize and and cause fear. Now, maybe so much you've not experienced the kind of physical threats that were talked about in this chapter but, and that may happen at some point. But he will try to threaten you with loss. If you stand for God, if you go for this, you may experience some loss is what he'll try to f- make you afraid of. Maybe it's loss of a relationship. Maybe it's loss of what you feel like is respect among other people. Maybe it's a loss, some kind of significant loss. Maybe for it's a career advancement, there's loss because people maybe don't like you because you stand for the things of God. He tries threats. And then I want you to see he tries distractions. He wants to distract the people of God. He wants to lure you into battles that really don't matter. He wants to get us fighting with ourselves about certain things. And and it says in verse 8, it says, They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and to throw us into confusion. He uses distractions. He wants you to forget what really matters to the heart of God. The enemy is always seeking to entice and distract and and this is what we find to be true, is that he, he seeks to distract you. And maybe you've become distracted. And you've kind of taken your eyes off of God. And maybe you've gotten distracted with, with the rubble that's still around you. And you're wondering if it's ever going to be able to be repaired. And we should anticipate this, that our response is this. And we're going to respond in this manner. Our respond, the way we respond to the opposition is in this manner. What did they do? They went straight to God in what? Prayer. You said it a minute ago. They prayed, and we're going to pray. If you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling under attack, you feel like the sharks are circling, we're going to take that to God in prayer. And I want you to take these passages of Scripture to heart. If you've been feeling anxious, you're anxious about your future, you're anxious about your family, that is rooted in fear. And look at what he says. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Is it because you're powerful? No. Look at what he says. 
Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He's saying fight for your families and you fight in the power of remembering who your God is. And look at what he says about this and you need to be encouraged by this. And our God will fight for us. Amen? The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is his. It's not yours. It's his. So I want to invite you to pray with me right now. Nehemiah led the people to pray and to praise their God. I want you just to begin to remember that you are a child. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's not like God and Satan are on this equal playing field and it's a coin toss on who's going to win. You need to understand that our God is the creator and that he is sovereign over all things. Sovereign over all things in your life. We know how the end of the book says it turns out. Amen. God is on the throne and we are to praise him as the God of gods, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Who is man that I should fear him? Nehemiah led them into prayer. Would you just begin to just take your eyes? If you have great problems, we're not saying you don't have problems in your life or you're not discouraged for a legitimate reason. But would you just begin to, rather than fixating on all the problems around you and feeling overwhelmed by that, we've been shown in the scripture that the antidote to that fear is to begin to remember who our God is. Then our problems start looking a lot smaller in perspective to who God is. Nehemiah took these problems and these attacks straight to God. He says, I prayed to my God. I'm not going to be afraid of the enemy. I'm going to remember who my Lord is. I'm going to remember that the mighty hand of God is upon me. Father, today we praise you that we are victorious Not because of our power, not because of our strength, but we stand victorious in Jesus Christ because of the power of our loving Savior, Jesus. Would you just begin to praise him in your heart right there? Right where you're seated, would you just begin to praise God for who he is? Tell him that he's mighty and that he is great and that he is the creator of the universe. That he is more powerful. That he is on omnipotent, all-powerful, that he is all-knowing. And you need to understand something, that when you begin to pray, and when you begin to praise the Almighty God in the spiritual realm, you need to understand there's something that's happening, there's spiritual warfare that's going on. At the name of Jesus, the enemy must flee. And when you pray and you praise and you lift up the name of Jesus Christ in prayer and in worship, it confounds and causes great fear in the enemy. At the name of Jesus, he trembles. And so today, God, we praise you. We praise you as your people. We surrender to you. We ask you to fill us where we are discouraged. Fill us with your courage, Lord, so that we may get back the work of rebuilding the walls around us. Fill us with your strength. Give us your peace. Lord, we fight these battles not in the physical realm, but this is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. 
We want to just praise you today as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lamb of God who's taken away the sin of the world, who's given us eternal life and abundant life. I want to invite you now just to stand with me. I want to invite you to stand. Let's do that now. Let's remain in an attitude of prayer. We are going to sing to our Almighty God. And you praise Him today. You praise Him in spite of what's happening in your life and the physical world. You praise Him for who He is and what He's done. God, You are glorious. and You are mighty. And You deserve and are worthy of our praise. In the name of Jesus is who we lift up. Let's praise Him.